you a little background on how I got to this message. Um, there's a uh, program called the Multiplication Pipeline, and this is a resource of development to, to develop leaders. And um, Josh, when I was, he and I had some uh, several meetings together, and this was one opportunity uh, to grow, uh, challenge myself in my own walk. And uh, so it's like a 10-week journey to discovering um, your role in the mission of God. So chapter one is all about the image of God. And do we have that slide? The first slide. Um, I'm going to get into a few questions here. And uh, they're thought-provoking questions. So what, what I do in my um, personal life is I'm a lead sensei. Uh, I work for a um, Harvard Healthcare organization, and I and I speak at places. But when I when I take this step here, it's it's a very humbling step because uh, I'm representing our Creator God. So um, I want to just begin with a question with everybody: and do you know, or could you state the mission of the organization? you thought about that question, would you be able to state it right now? Just, I'm not going to ask you to state it, but who could say yes, I could. All right, great. Thank you. So, have you ever thought about what your mission is in life? What your mission here on earth is? That's a big question. Well, your answer to this question is really the most important single factor. It's going to shape your trajectory here on earth. If you don't have a compelling answer to the question, you'll end up pursuing things that don't matter or really not pursuing anything at all. Since this is such a big question with so many implications of our, for our lives, it's important that we ask a more foundational question. What does God say about my life's mission? He's the author of all created things. He has the right to find their purpose, and in his kindness, he has explained our purpose clearly in the pages of Scripture. In Psalm 139, 14 through 16, I asked Will to read this for us. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The God who made you, the one who created all that evolved and will ever be, he knit you together in a specific way to showcase his glory. He designed you just right, shaping you to be a unique reflection of his creativity and his power. When you think about that question, I ask myself, what would change about my life if I really believed this to be true? Would I be more bold? Would I be fearless? Would I be more courageous? I listen to, uh, I have an hour commute 
one and I paid for XM radio. Probably the only investment, one of the best investments I ever made. So I listened to Family Talk Radio. Anybody here at Family Talk, XM 131? So in there, there's preachers that I hear, listen to every morning. And one of them said, you can believe in God, but not believe God. So I can believe God is the creator of heaven and earth. But do I believe what he says in his word? Do I believe that? I had my soul pondering that. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Our creative design it informs everything about our life's mission. Since we are fearfully made, we are to take care of our lives and live our life to our fullest potential. Maximize the abilities God has given us, the gifts He's given us. Each one of you has a gift. And all these actions reflect His glory. This is our life's mission. Have you ever created something like any bakers in the house? Any bakers? I know there's a couple bakers, sorry. So you, you create a cake, it's something special, it has your name on it. Or build a deck. Or put an engine together, or uh, maybe you wrote a poem, or created a, a song. You wrote a song, or maybe you wrote a book. All these things—they represent you in some way because it's something that you did. You put some time into making it. Well, you created it, and you own it. Well, God created you. He created you. Since the beginning of creation, God created men and women with this mission to reflect his glory. Three times in the span of three verses that God created people in his image, and once again we are told that man is created in God's likeness. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, all the earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on earth. Later, and the same theme is repeated in chapter 5, verse 1. These are the family records of the descendants of Adam. And on the day that God created man, he said to him, in the likeness of God. Even after sin entered the scene, God continues to affirm that men and women are made in his image. In, in Genesis chapter 6, God sends a flood to address the human wickedness. And he tells Noah that human life matters. He says, whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his own image. See, God wants to make it clear that the pinnacle of his creation, men and women, they are uniquely designed in his image. Everyone is created in the image of God, regardless of their gender, their race, their ethnicity, disability. Obviously, the image of God is not to be exactly look like him. So none of us look like God. We don't know what God looks like. 
just leaves us on the defined the definition of the image of God is certainly in relational capacity. So, how does it allow people to know and relate to God in different ways in the aspects of God's creation? Well, in other words, we can experience God in creation. We can see the mountains, the scenery, the wildlife, the creation of, 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 of all the different animals and all these things that they can do. But we can also experience God through relationships. As image bearers, we are meant to reflect God. Not only can we relate to him in unique ways, but this relationship is meant to allow us to reflect him in the world today. Much like the ancient kings, um, they had statues that represented an image. So in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, did you ever try to spell that word? Well, he made this golden statue that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. It was an image. Here's another one we all might be familiar with, Saddam. So there was this huge statue in the middle of a central area that represented him. It was an image of the ruler of kings. So if we're made in his image, how do we reflect that image to others when people are born in a state of sin. As a result, we are a broken reflection of that image of God. Apart from the grace of God, we would not be able to do what God created us to do. In John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He sent his son, Jesus, as the perfection, the perfect reflection of the image of God. In Hebrews 1, 3, we read, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Jesus did more than merely serve as our example of how we might live this image-bearing mission. If that was all He did, we'd still be in a bind. We would still be unable to follow the example he set before us because of our sinful hearts. Yes, Jesus is our example, but he's also our substitute. He lived a life none of us could live, and he died the death we all deserve. By grace, through faith, his death is credited to the account of his people. They no longer have to live a life of fear fear of the eternal wrath of God, because that's already been paid for in Jesus Christ. And we read that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And his righteous life is credited to the account as well. When God looked at his children, he sees them as forgiven, pure, and holy. God dwells in his people through his Holy Spirit. It allows them to do what? and that's to be the image of God. We're not able to do that in our own flesh. We don't have the power. We will never meet the maximum capacity in our lives if we don't have the Holy Spirit within us. Let me give you an example of that image. So what I'm saying is we live this relationship. Most of you here today might be 
Christ, we have a common bond in Christ. We bear his image in this world. In 2008, I had the privilege of going to Kajabi, Africa with 40 other people on a missions trip. And we were, our goal was to go to the Mata Bible College and equip them to make them better off than they are by fixing uh, the necessary repairs. And we did extra work with painting and, and sorting clothes for the people uh, who were left off. And so when we arrived to Kenya, we took a shuttle to, to this uh, very long flight. Once we got there, we just decided to stay in Kenya. The missionary who we were supporting put us up. He coordinated the whole thing. That's a lot of people. It's like we could have had our own plane. But the reality was there were men outside with armed guns that were guarding the gate. We were in a different culture. But there was power in this bond that we had. We had a mission. We were there together to serve. And then when we got to the camp, we were welcomed by people we never met before with open arms and just embracing us for the week, week and a half ahead. See, God has positioned his people throughout the world uniquely and strategically to be images of him. There are believers in Africa, Poland, Ecuador, Honduras, a few other countries I had the pleasure of being at. There are suburban areas and inner city schools. Each is there as a result of the strategic design, the strategic plan of God. Sure, it may appear to us that we're in our neighborhood because we like the schools, because the people are nice in the neighborhood. But from God's perspective, we're in that home to be His image bearing representative. I recently experienced this reality. When it came, uh, my neighbor was diagnosed with cancer over two years ago. It was esophageal cancer, and it was, it was a pretty bad cancer. So at 61, uh, a diagnosis 58, he died this week at 61. And we had a great relationship. He was a single man. Uh, he focused, uh, I call him a good old boy, because he had some good morals. He was a good guy. But did he know Jesus? God bless you. So we had, God had positioned us there to, to be a witness. And we, got, we built a great relationship with this man. But towards the end of life, the reality hit that he needs to know that Jesus said, so we prayed for Bob and with Bob. And then the God put it on my wife's heart to actually present a message. Now, for any of you who know my wife, that is not her alley. Um, she is the opposite of me. Um, but the Lord put it in her heart to do it. So she diligently prepared this message, wrote pages of things she would say, Open the Bible, listen to Charles' family, whatever she could grab the nuggets to get the message from him. And then one day she came home and said, I got to be able to get into this. And she did it. We've always gotten along with him. Uh, he's a great family, and now we're witnessing to 
we might think that we're working day in and day out at this job that we have. Oh, it's such a pain and being a, a boss and work. And, but we got to pay the bills. God has more in mind for you where you are today. And it's not just to pay the bills. It's to be His image. Wherever you are, whatever position you have, God is strategic. He wants every aspect of our lives to fill the earth with His glory as we bear His image. So final question is simple. Are you reflecting God's will? Are you fulfilling God's mission for your life? In order to answer this question, we've established just what it means to be the image of God. Maybe the most natural way to answer the question is to assess our lives and how we demonstrate the glory of God. We want to know whether those we encounter on a daily basis notice a difference in us. Are we different? Are we like the world or what makes us different? Are we people of integrity when we look at us? Do we say the truth even when it hurts? Do we go along with everything else? These are questions I had to ask myself as I prepared for this. I didn't listen to it again and again and again. Does your work really demonstrate that you're honoring God? Does your perseverance in the face of suffering demonstrate that we have greater hope than anything in this world? Some of the uh, believers that God's put across my path in life have uh, been people who have gone through some very bad turmoil, cancer, and tragic things. And they stand out to me because they never wavered in their faith. They never blamed God for their current position. They knew God was in control, and they represented Him. His image. And their faces and names are popped in my head. They are encouragement to me. Does your marriage, does it paint a picture of Christ's love for his church? It would be foolish to assume people would be drawn to worship if a glorious God and if people did not reflect the glory of God. You can't assume that they would be drawn to come in here if we were all walking around. What draws them? What attracted them to this glory of God? Are you displaying this glory? In one of my last positions, I befriended a sales rep. He came in every week to take inventory of what the guy would do. And uh, we'd have conversations, great conversations. And then when I was transitioning to my new role, um, I was telling him I was leaving, and we started engaging in just a conversation, and church came up. So then when I realized he was going to church, and now we're both churchgoers, and we just started talking about other things, and he said to me, wow, I never realized you were a Christian. And I enhanced the conversation, because now we have this common bond, but later, I reflected on it, and it was more of a conviction. Why didn't he know what should I have said 15 years any differently? 
another aspect of the image-bearing nature, and one that we must not minimize, the role we have in declaring the message of Jesus and the glory of God. The reality is that most of us who are far from God may observe someone living a God-honoring life and think that that person is simply a good person. Well, the Bible says none of us are good, not one. But they may assume that the co-worker, the neighbor, or friend is moral, they're upright, they're a good guy. Are we making the connection between the person's actions and the work of God? Do they know that we were transformed through Jesus Christ? Unless we are open to speak about Jesus and connect the dots between our lives and Jesus' work, we've neglected the vital component of our image-bearing work. In First Peter, it says, always be prepared to answer to everyone. Recently, a close brother of the Lord passed away. His name was Ira. Some of you here know him. He was a deep, uh, close friend of mine, a very uh, strong encouragement to me as it is. Ira would text me scripture verses, almost daily. We'd pray together on the phone and say, hey, I'm dealing with this, or I need your prayers. He was truly a brother in the Lord. And he was a hard guy. You see, Ira was an alcoholic. And he got saved. He has two beautiful kids and grandchildren. Even after he got saved, his first wife said, I can't, I can't do it, I can't stay anymore. So she divorced him. But he stayed true and faithful to the word of God. It was part of his testimony, what God was doing. And he, he used them in another church, a couple churches, and Establishing men's ministries, and he did so, so much amazing work for the kingdom of God. Um, so, do you have somebody like that in your life that could help support you on this journey? See, he was in bondage, and then he was delivered. He was delivered from the bondage because he accepted Christ into his life. He didn't hold back on telling people about Jesus. No, he was up in your face. He was in your grave. Even after he became a new creature in Christ, because that's what we are when we accept God, he takes away the old. We become new. He kept pressing on. You know, even afterward, uh, he got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And he experienced several years of pain until he was uh, properly and he beat that for a while too but Brother Ira never blamed God now he always gives his glory if you're sitting here today as a professed Christian you're being watched someone close to you diagnosed with cancer and needs to understand that there's hope that's based in the future promises of the resurrection made possible because of Jesus. They need to know that. The co-worker who's watching you 
refrain from cutting corners and bending the rules needs to know why you're doing it. Why aren't you going along with it? What makes you different? The friend whose marriage is crumbling needs to know that your marriage is healthy, not because you're compatible and you have good ethics and you made good choices, but because your love serves a bigger purpose. You serve each other as a response to Jesus' sacrificial love on your behalf. And not only do you others need to know this connection, but they need to be shown how they can find a new life in Christ as well. Are you giving it your best? One of my favorite clips in this. Uh, has anybody seen Jason the Giant here? So, yes, he has. He's, uh, he's still there. So there's a, there's a section where, um, you know, the, there's a new coach that takes over the team, and the team has really kind of broken up the high school team, and they've lost so many games. Well, there's this one leader that stands out in the group. His name is Brock. He's influential. He can, he can influence the team. Well, the coach knows that, and he sees Brock's attitude. He's kind of like, macho guy, whatever, you know, I can do whatever. So he calls him out the field. He said, Brock, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to do the death crawl. You know what the death crawl is? You get on your hands and knees, and you strap another guy to your back, and you just crawl down the field. Well, what he asked him to do is, when you do this crawl, I'm going to blindfold you. Okay? Because usually you go from one point to this point. But I'm going to blindfold you. And I just want you to commit that you're going to give me your very best. You're going to give me your very best, Brock. You're going to just give me your very best. All right. Yeah, he puts the blindfold on. Gets the guy that's 100 pounds on his back. And he's going. And he's going. And he's going. And he's training. And he's, he's ready to give up. And the coach just keeps going. He says, give me your best, Brock. Give me your best. Best. Just give me your best. And he's crying. He's screaming out like... I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. And he says, give me your best. Until he finally gets to a place where he just can't and he falls. And he went the whole length of the football field. You know, God wants us to give him, give him our very best. There's a picture of a, a slide up here. It's the one with all the pictures on it. Can you go back one? Yeah. So, I think the images of God, these were, these were images that came to me. Relationships, right? Brother Ira there in the middle. There's Charles Stanley who poured into my life. Some missionary friends that we visited. People that, we, that touched my life and poured in my life. Camp. You can do that. If someone's done it for you, you've been part of a relationship that encourages you press on no matter how hard it is and it's hard but you can be this in yourself if this slide was to be up here for somebody you know would your, would your picture be up here would you be that image of God for them in summary when you combine demonstrating and declaring the gospel, you provide a proper definition of what it means to bear 
him and his God. The outworking of these actions is going to look different for everybody. Of course, the gospel message is the same. But you may represent it and present it in different ways, whether you are talking to a single mom who lives next door or the corporate executive over coffee on your morning commute. You're going to demonstrate the transformation brought about by the gospel in many different ways because God has transformed each one of us in a different way. And you're going to address this with different people. You may say it differently, but it still leads to the gospel. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. That's the image of God. Jesus is the example. He is God in the flesh. He's who we look for. His spirit in us gives us the power to be that image of him. There's nothing in us that can do that. It's only Christ in us. If you're a Christian, think about this question. How are you demonstrating how are you declaring it? And how are you equipping yourself? If you're not a Christian, that's your first step. You have to accept what he did on the cross for you, for your sins. At some point in your life, you have to make this decision that you're not good enough. Only Christ is good enough. And what Christ did you and me that can get us to heaven. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to reflect that image of God. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I'm not worthy of this conversation. You've given us the power that we need Send Jesus to die for our sins. Sins are sins that we we should be thankful for. God and His sins. God in your goodness has blessed us. He blessed us. He blessed us. Even when we fall and pick us up, you lead us back. You never give up. Lord, I pray today that we would give you our very best, that we would not stop and move forward in this world where things are changing so rapidly, the culture is shifting. People are confused. They're, they're looking for truth. Lord, help us to look in the mirror. Are we examples of that truth to others? Father, thank you. Thank you for your for your amazing And thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray today, Father, that if there's anyone here that has not accepted you, not committed their life to you, that they would do that today. And to do that, you just need to ask God to forgive you for your sins. Accept what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for those sins. For you, because he loves you. 
Lord, may we just think differently. 